Hello and welcome to Non-Breaking Space, which you can find online at nonbreakingspace.tv. Non-Breaking Space is a show where we'll seek out the best, brightest, and smartest folks on the web and talk to them about how and why they do what they do. Your hosts are Christopher Schmidt and Dave McFarlane, two web designers, authors, and trainers who have a passion for sharing knowledge about the web. I'm Chris from Canada, web designer, podcaster. Christopher and Dave have invited along to help push the record button and keep everyone on track here on Non-Breaking Space. Our guest for this episode is Ryan Ireland. Ryan is presently the Vice President of Technology at HappyCog. He's also the owner of Majingo, a publisher of training materials for web people. Ryan is also the publisher of eInsider.com, a news and information website about Expression Engine. And he's also the author of Expression Engine 2, a quick start guide. So at this time, I'll turn it over to Christopher and Dave in the conversation with Ryan. Thanks, Chris. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Hi, Christopher. It's going well. How are you doing? Um, doing all right. I think I'm getting over a little, uh, little uh, cold flu thing or whatever that's going on, but doing all right. Oh, goodness me. That's yeah. terrible. Oh, my book came out. CSS3, The Missing Manual. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. Yes. Oh, Very excited about that. Yeah, we, we, uh, and my book came out too. So What? What's like, your book? Designing Web and Mobile Graphics. Ah, that's who's publishing that? Uh, Peach Pit. So, Sweet. So yeah, so now, now we have to go buy each other's books. Congratulations. Well, can't we just give each other copies? Yeah, we can do that too. Okay, let's do that. Buds, we can do that. Cool. Well, uh, I'm excited today because our, our guest for today is also an author, uh, a couple times over at least. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Ireland, how are you doing? Welcome, hey guys. Ryan. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Well, we're honored that you're here. Totally. Um, why don't you, uh, for people who don't know about you, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and what you what you do now? Sure. Uh, right now, as you heard on the intro, I'm the VP of Technology at Happy Cog. Um, sort of background um my my education is in german and german literature and uh which of course you know makes me overqualified for for almost nothing um <laughs> but uh the uh, so I, had, I i went to school um on and off for about seven years and and wound up uh with a, a bachelor's in german and then went to grad school and got a master's in german uh, with uh, you know, an emphasis on on German literature, which is pretty much what everybody does. Um, from there, I got into the web by uh, well, I mean, I got I was sort of into building web pages back in the early days when I was an undergraduate. So like you know, ninety four, ninety five, time period, late nineties, basically, mm-hmm. and just playing around. I would go to our computer lab at the university and and hug two workstations. One that I used to uh, edit code on in whatever command line editor I was using that I don't remember what it was, and the other one to refresh the you know the browser uh, to to see what I was doing and and there was I didn't really have any storage except for the HTML file everything else was I was hot linking images I remember hot linking like a <laughs> an image of somebody backpacking on a mountain or something like that because I was into backpacking back then. Um, so that's kind of how I got started and, you know, kind of tinkered here and there and then kind of gave it up for a long time. Uh, lived in Germany for almost two years and uh, came back and went back to school. And I was always interested in the web. Um, and then when I was in graduate school, as a way to, uh, well, keep myself sane, I, uh, I started doing a lot more web stuff and started reteaching myself everything I had learned before HTML and started learning more about CSS and then CSS layouts and and really sort of the typical in- introduction that a lot of people get uh, to building web pages is something I did on the side through grad school. And then out of grad school, I got a job with a uh, educational technology company. Um, I got a job running this blog tool they had and doing all sorts of miscellaneous tasks, really just learning a ton of stuff on the job and ended up working with a really great um, development team there, uh, web and uh, client application, Windows and Mac application development team, and learned a ton about uh, best practices for you know for web development and any type of development um, and how you know the whole environment of of a developer works, how different tools work. I learned about version control and started did some Rail Ruby on Rails stuff there as well, um, and actually still friends with. Uh, some of these people I worked with today, a lot of, a couple of them live in Austin. And so really it was my chance to sort of learn quickly on the job. 
And uh, from there, I uh, started working with Greg Story, who started uh, Airbag Industries. That was a blog and then an agency. And uh, he hired me as as his first employee in 2006. Well, how did that come about? Um, Greg and I had been friends just through, you know, the web. Like, this is back when everybody was writing on their blogs, and this is before Twitter. And, like, you visited people's blogs and read their blogs as, like, and that's how you maintain this, like, circle of of contacts online. And so that was what Greg uh, and I, you know, were. We we just knew each other through each other's sites and um, just stayed in regular contact. Um, And then when he uh, went out on his own, I think about a year later, he needed to hire somebody and uh, and asked me if uh, if I wanted to come on board as uh, uh, in, my, in the first position. My first position actually with him was doing project management for a client that he had, and uh, we we did project management for them. It was contracted out, so I spent my first year um, doing a lot of project management work, and then moved into you know I was doing development on the side the whole time even before I started working for Greg and then started doing, you know, more and more development work. And then from there grew into um, a lead role and then a director role. And then um, at the beginning of this year as uh, the VP of technology, just overseeing all the technology and development at Happy Cock. So, um, so, so I've, I've, along the way I've been able to, except for design really, I've been able to dip my toes in all the different areas of web. And uh, it's been kind of cool. It gives me a nice, uh, and that's appreciation for, you know, all the hard work that goes into putting together an entirety of a project. Excellent. Well, you're um, also well known um, for uh, expression engine teaching and being um, an expression engine developer. Do you still do expression engine work? I do, yeah. Um, the sites that I run, so I run uh, EE Insider, which is an expression engine news site, essentially. And, uh, you know, that actually runs on Expression Engine and then in my own site for Majingo.com, which is the publishing, uh, small publishing company I run that also runs on Expression Engine. So my, I do Expression Engine through there and then we also use Expression Engine at Happy Cog as well. So um, I do still get my hands dirty with Expression Engine and, you know, do training and write about it. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely still part of my day-to-day uh, work life for sure. Cool. Uh, maybe uh, for those listeners who aren't super familiar with Expression Engine or have just heard about it, maybe you could explain, you know, what it is and what it lets you do. Sure. Uh, Expression Engine is a content management system, and it's um, uh, a PHP, MySQL, CMS um, that you run on your own server, and it's a commercial app. So there's a license fee uh, involved in using it. And uh, what it's really known for is being really flexible in how you organize your content. Um, so that way you can really model the content how you want it to be using custom fields and uh, you know, a variety of templates that you need. But it's also, that's one of the things it's known for. Another thing it's known for is that it's really popular with web designers or people that don't have any like programming skills um, or not enough programming skills to, to dig into you know, any PHP code at all. So since it has its own template language that you use to set up templates, and the one thing that I really like about it, um, and the, why it's really appropriate for what we do at HappyCog, is because you can drop in your you know beautifully crafted HTML and CSS templates, and just you know tell Expression where it needs to be involved. You know you, you use these tags and wrap the tags around just the areas where you need Expression Engine to populate content. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it, it, it keeps your templates really clean. And also, Expression doesn't impose anything on your templates or on your markup. Um, it just, you tell it where to go, and it, and it just populates there. Um, it's not very heavy-handed. It doesn't produce, you know, extra divs or, or extra classes or anything like that. So in that sense, it, it allows you to, to really preserve um, the, the markup that you created, um, which is important to us, um, and that's one of the reasons that's actually been really popular, uh, I think, with with a lot of like designers and one man shops or one person shops, um, but also free, and freelancers because a lot of these people are doing you know everything for every project. They're doing the design, the markup, and the implementation, and it's important that they have a tool that they can use um, that is accessible to them to to allow them to be successful at doing that. And a lot of times, you know, if it's you know, there's some tools 
that uh, they might they might not feel as comfortable with. Cool. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely at the point where you know content management systems are kind of ruling. Uh, what what web designers, even kind of single person shop web designers, are doing? Uh, you know, it seems like the day of the sort of static website is is over, except for maybe Jekyll, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But <laughs> right. um, you know, uh, so we've got um, expression engines, one content management system, and of course we have Drupal, Joomla, and and the big one that a lot of designers use is WordPress. Right. How would you compare expression engine to these other sort of PHP based? Uh, um, uh, content management systems. Um, well, between if I was going to compare it to something like WordPress, I would say that Expression Engine from from the be, the beginning of the Expression Engine version of the software, because it has a history going back to this version of a software called P Machine. But from the Expression Engine version of the software, it's always been about flexibility and not being like a blogging tool. I think that's one of the biggest knocks that people have against WordPress, which is that it's it has this reputation, right or wrong, of being just like a blogging tool, like a very simple entry form blogging tool. And of course, people that use WordPress full-time know that, you know, WordPress can do a lot more than that. Um, but if I was going to compare it to, I would say Expression Engine out of the box is set up to not make any assumptions about what you want to do. Um, it requires a lot more uh, configuration um, out of the starting gate than WordPress does. Expression Engine also doesn't have a thriving theming community. Whereas WordPress, you know, there's a large WordPress theming community where a lot of people just, you know, drop in a theme and then they're ready to go and they have, uh, you know, essentially, you know, a, a site that's, that's ready to launch. So Expression Engine more is like a framework mm -hmm. um, that you build sites on, uh, that, like a CMS framework that you build sites on more than just like a, a, a turnkey publishing tool. Right. Um, I would say that it has that similarity then with Drupal because I think that Drupal has, you know, is, is similar in that it's, um, you can definitely drop in, you know, a theme in Drupal and get started. I mean, Drupal is definitely, you know, all about the themes. Uh, but that the, um, but the Drupal also, you know, requires, you know, some setup and it doesn't make a lot of assumptions when you get started with it. Um, I would say that uh, just in my personal experience, uh, I find Expression Engine more uh, pleasing to use in a tool like Drupal, um, but that's just my own, you know, uh, preference. Um, I haven't done a lot with Joomla, so I can't really can't really speak to that. Um, one thing I think that um, that people find uh, nice about a tool like uh, Expression Engine is that it has a a vast um, community of developers that create add-ons for it. So plugins, extensions, modules, um, accessories. And there's a big commercial market for those. So you have a lot of you have a lot of code that is sold and supported. And that's a real benefit. And I think a difference between some of the other systems where I know Drupal is definitely focused on open source, as is WordPress. Um, and whereas Expression Engine, some people release their stuff for free, but there's a big uh, part of the community that is doing it um, for profit as a business, but with support and updates and, and, and regular, you know, and basically like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, the, you're selling it. And so they, you know, they have the obligation to, to support it and to update it. Um, so those would be the, the big differences between the tools. I mean, expression engine is much, much smaller in terms of community mm -hmm. and imprint on the internet than, I mean, WordPress is, you know, like you said, it's, it's just massive. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It seems kind of where like uh, WordPress has a really great theme, community, and industry, and whereas Expression Engine has a really great you know developer add-on, like right. kind of community in a niche industry and so on. That. So, and um, has there been any inroads to build sort of like a theming, uh, not niche industry or community within Expression Engine? Uh, there's been at least one attempt that I know of. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Woo Themes, who they're big in the in the WordPress theming world, um, they attempted to they created and then attempted to to sell and market Expression Engine themes, and I believe maybe after a year or so, they they kind of shut that down. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it you know it just wasn't very fruitful. It took off, um, yeah, yeah, and and that's just sort of the and that's nothing to do with it had nothing to do with the Woo because their themes are actually really nice. Yeah. It had everything to do with just that. The people that use Expression Engine aren't typically approaching it as like I need to theme something. You have 
like I said, freelancers or small shops or even, you know, larger shops that are doing a soup to nuts build of a website for somebody right. and they are controlling every aspect of it and they're not interested in a theme. Right. So, um, with uh, expression engine, if you just install it, is there, is there nothing really there? I mean, like, you know, like WordPress, it's got the famous, you know, five minute install and suddenly you've got this blog for whatever it looks like, maybe not great, but you could start adding content with expression engine, you install it. Do you also then, you then have to do a bunch of other stuff to get templates built or. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. Okay. So you yeah, don't just drop it on and there's not, there's nothing. If you just install it, you have to go a further step and start to define your HTML and that kind of stuff. Exactly. So when you, um, when you install expression, you do have the option of installing a sample site called, uh, I think it's still called agile records. And I'd actually, I want to make sure I'd, that's correct because I don't actually install it ever. Um, but there's a sample site you can install that, that sets up some channels um, for you. Channels are sort of like, you know, the, the content areas. And it sets up some channels and some custom fields and stuff like that. And it gives you an idea of how everything works. Um, I always encourage people new to Expression Engine to install that when, they inst when they're first using Expression Engine. Not to actually use what is installed with that Agile Records sample site, but just so they can click around and start to understand how things are put together. Um, but if you're just starting a site from scratch and you want to, you know, build a site for your, um, you know, local, you know, accountant or, or whatever, um, you wouldn't, there's nothing you have to start from scratch. You have to create all of your templates, all of your channels, all of your fields. Um, everything has to be created. Right. Uh, so yeah, you don't get anything. And that's, that's actually the nice part of it because you're not, you're not inheriting anything that needs to be stripped down. So expression engine, it's a commercial product, right? It's like Correct. 300 bucks and that's a single license. So each site is a $300 fee. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. It's a one time $300 license. Um, and then there's support costs that go on top of that. If you, if you opt to, to do like a paid support model after, I think it's a, a few months or something like that. I forget what they're offering with the new license. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, but it's a, but it's a one-time fee. It's not like an annual fee yeah. or anything like that. It's just one time. How does it scale? I mean, what? How big of a site does Expression Engine? Does it start to fill the pain at a certain point, or um, if if it's not uh, coded properly, then definitely. I mean, yeah. like anything else, it could definitely fill the pain. But it's Expression Engine. Uh, if you Google like top like biggest websites running Expression Engine, mm -hmm. somebody put a post together that they keep updated, and that that lists out you know some of the biggest websites running Expression Engine. Um, you know, one of the ones that uh, I'm not sure if it's still on the list right now, but it used to be um, that I helped work on uh, the original version of it being on Expression Engine, uh, a list of part magazine that um, that was started by uh, Jeffrey Zeldman mm -hmm. is yeah. one um, that runs Expression Engine that is uh, that is up there on the list. Um, I don't know if it still is because as more people adopt Expression Engine, you know, other sites get pushed down. But sure. it was at one time. Um, but even, you know, back in 2008, 2009, the, um, the Obama administration's, uh, uh, what do they call the transition government group, um, that used uh, Expression Engine as well. And, and that got uh, millions and millions and millions of hits. And this is where people were submitting, like, ideas and stuff like that for the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. um, this was after the election, before the inauguration. And so there's like that list there. I don't have it in front of me, but there's um, there's a bunch of websites, a big, big websites that run Expression Engine. A lot of them, there's a lot that we also don't know about because um, they're not allowed to say that, you know, what they're running um, uh -huh. for, for obvious reasons. And you, but can, yeah, you it, can, you can, unlike WordPress, it's kind of hard to, it can be hard to hide, you know, uh, what, that, that it's a WordPress site. You know, if you look at the code, you can right. un uncover that with Expression Engine, it's pretty easy to obscure uh, obscure its identity? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, because you're in control of, of everything in the template. Everything. And I would say even, um, I'm not a Drupal expert, but I would say even with some Drupal sites, you can probably tell right. that, that they're Drupal as well. So um, let's talk a little bit about PHP frameworks because EE is based on, <laughs> is built on PHP. Is there a framework behind Expression Engine? Yeah, it's, uh, it's based on, or it's, it's built on the CodeIgniter framework, which is also by the same company, Ellis Lab, who makes Expression Engine. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, it's running off like a, its own branch of mm -hmm. CodeIgniter. But a lot of the stuff that they build for uh, 
that they have to add to CodeIgniter to, to do something with Expression Engine, um, I think the idea is that they roll that back into the main branch. Um, so that way, you know, everybody gets the benefit. I would say that the general, um, the feeling that I get from developers right now is that, uh, is that there's a lot of other PHP frameworks that are moving faster, moving forward faster than CodeIgniter. And so you see a lot of people dropping off um, to do, to use other frameworks. Um, and also a lot of people just switching to use, you know, there's also like things like Laravel. Um, right. uh, so you see a lot of people moving over to, to that. Uh, and a lot of people switching, you know, to different languages, a lot of people moving to like Python and Django. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I think CodeIgniter is definitely still, I mean, as long as expression engines around CodeIgniter will be used. Um, but, uh, and, you know, I've used CodeIgniter for, for quite a few projects and it's perfectly fine to, you know, to code on. Right. So do you, have you experienced with some of these other frameworks? There's like CakePHP and, and you mentioned Laravel is like sort of the new kid on the block. Do you know much about Laravel and what, what it is and how it's different than CodeIgniter? Um, I don't, I have not worked that much with Laravel to be able to, to speak to, to some of the differences. I haven't used CakePHP in years. Um, so uh, I've really been using um, CodeIgniter if I'm doing PHP stuff mm -hmm. and Ruby on Rails or Sinatra if I'm doing Ruby stuff. Um, so I haven't really uh, spent a whole lot of time with, uh, with Laravel just yet. But it's on my list for this year. To learn? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like every week there's a new framework coming out. But this one's got a lot of buzz, so. Yeah, and I'm uh, not really big. I mean, I, I like to, and part of my, my job is that I need to, you know, keep up and understand sort of what the changes are. But I don't want to, um, I don't want to just always be shifting with the yeah. winds on, you know, on technology. Because that's, that's just a trap that you get into yeah. and then one, you're just never good at one thing. Right. And two, you're also, um, it gets really confusing to maintain the work that you did before if you're mm -hmm. had moved to something else. So when you're doing client projects like we are, um, we have to be, you know, very conscious and very steady about the technology we choose because we yeah. want to make sure that we're not, you know, just, you know, switching here and there. We're always open to, to try new things. Um, but you know, if, you know, that's why we've used expression engine for so long because, we trust it, we know it works, and we can easily predict um, the amount of work it's going to take to do something in Expression Engine. Yeah, certainly. And it's been around a long time. It's got support. It's got a community. I mean, I, I checked out Laravel, and I was like, wow, this looks, you know, shiny and new and exciting. But, you know, from my brief look at it, you know, there's one developer who sort of spearheaded it, and I'm always extremely leery of any project that's like one developer who's sort of, you know, behind it unless there's a team or an, a community that's going to support it in case this person, you know, takes off or his wife has yeah, a baby or whatever. It's definitely, you know? it's definitely, you know, in its, in its younger days right now, they, they're just organizing their first conference for the, the fall. And right. so they're starting to grow the community. And I know that um, uh, Ian Landsman, who runs HelpSpot, um, his company brought on the developer um, and took on the 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 framework as well to support it. So he has, so the, the developer now has like, um, you know, some, uh, I don't want to say like money behind it, but like he's, he's being paid as part of his job to, to work on it. So I think that's helping at least in my eyes, you know, as I go down my checklist of looking at technologies that, you know, that's, that means a lot in terms of right. its stability. Yeah. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about Jekyll. Cause you, um, on your Majingo site, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you have a, a, a a, um, a learning podcast type of thing um, about Jekyll. Why don't you explain to people what Jekyll is? People seem to be talking about it quite a bit these days. Yeah, there's been this weird movement to, I mean, it's not weird at all. It's, it's, it actually makes sense to um, get back control of your, of the content you publish on the web. And uh, for anyone that has been through, you know, three or four migrations from one blogging tool to another, I know that my first blog was on um, Blogger. Mm -hmm. FTP to my university account um, <laughs> and like, you know, at like a, um, I went to University of North Carolina, so it was like a unc.edu slash tilde and then whatever right. my username was, right? right. Um, so that was my first blog and then it moved to movable type and then I moved to WordPress um, and I think I was maybe, may have been on text pattern somewhere in between there. <laughs> and so I, you know, moved content over and over again and you start to realize that um, unless you're really, really good at um, doing you know, direct 
database migrations. You know, if you're, you can write the queries to directly migrate the data over, or someone has built a tool for you, it's really easy to have um, to to have your content get degraded as you move systems. It's very much like you know copying one cassette tape to the other. Uh, or you know, things will get degraded because you'll lose. Oh, like this thing doesn't do categories. Oh, this thing, you know, this one post won't come in, or this post has all these funky characters in it now. And so there's this degradation that happens. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think what people started to to realize was, if I put everything in text files, the chances are that text files are going to last much much longer than any of these content management systems. I'll always be open to this text file. And if I use something like Markdown, yeah which is, you know, a, a very, you know, human readable, you know, markdown syntax. It's, chances are that that's going to be fine too. Even if the markdown processor, you know, goes up in flames and nobody can find it anymore. And, uh, and John Gruber has run off to the corner of the earth somewhere. Then uh, I can still read these files. And they're still meaningful. Like everything is still means something and they're still readable. Um, and they realize that then they have like these much more future proof, um, much future-proof content than than they would if it was stored in any of these other uh, MySQL database or other database-powered um, tools. Um, and so that's sort of where this I think this whole Jekyll movement comes from. It's this whole it's the same thing that drives people to you know get really fanatical about backups and stuff like that because they realize like hey it's 2012 2013 and like you know I have so much of my life in files. Now I need to start being careful with this stuff, and that's that's what drove me to, to use Jekyll as well. Is that I have all these years my blog, um, I think I it's like uh, eleven years old or something like that, and you know I care about all that content. Not all of it's great, but I care about it, and I wanted it in a system that I knew I could just print out. You know I could just print all these text files if I had to, and so that's why people move to Jekyll. So Jekyll is a tool that basically takes markdown files. Um, and I don't think they specifically have to be Markdown, but I use Markdown. So they take text files, some templates, and it uses the liquid templating language. And, uh, and it basically is a processor, and it processes those and spits out a static HTML site. Um, every single page of the site is, is spit out as an HTML file. So it's like old school. It's like we've come mm-hmm. full circle yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah, that's but it's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, like, yeah, it's kind of crazy how, like, because uh, the CMSs, if you will, the tools for building web in the 90s were all about, like, you you had you had to put all your content into a system, and then it would output static files for you, like you know, like NetFusion. I believe it was the tool back in the day. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Even yeah. think about what movable type did, right? I mean, that was the whole thing. Right. right. Movable type, you had that, you know, it was building uh, and generating all the static files every time you made a change. And Jekyll does essentially the same thing. Um, you can run Jekyll on a server if you want, uh, but I think most people run it locally. And then have some sort of deployment mechanism, uh, whether that's just like manual FTP or, or up to a server, or if they're using a deployment tool like um, uh, like Capistrano or whatever they use. Um, but it's you know I run it locally, and I just have a Git repository that has all my Markdown files and my templates. And uh, when I write an article or a post, I just you know just type Jekyll in the command line, and it builds my site, updates my RSS <laughs> feed, and then I just um, I just push that out to the server. And then the next time someone's RSS reader pulls my uh, my server, then it, it sees that the, the file has been updated. Um, so it's pretty cool. It's a it's a great way, and it's super fast because it's all static files, and there's no database, which means I can very quickly move from one server to another. It's not this mm-hmm. big migration thing. Right. Well, then also uh, GitHub, for GitHub pages, actually uh, processes all the, like, so if you use GitHub Pages, you actually they use Jekyll. So if you actually use Jekyll, you can actually pretty much have your blog hosted by GitHub or yep. site. And that's where Jekyll came from. It they, it was built to power GitHub Pages, and then they, then they released it as Jekyll. Oh, oh really? I didn't know that. What's the underlying technology? Is it Ruby or? It's Ruby. Yep. Uh-huh. And it's just really it's a Ruby gem. Uh, you know, gem installed Jekyll. Um, it'll grab all the dependencies. You might have to. Hmm. To add a couple others in, depending on uh, what Markdown processor you want. Right. Uh, but yeah, but it'll it'll install everything, and then you just go in and, and set up your templates. And in that video, I, I just kind of walk through the really basic cool. process of doing that. So once you're done, I mean, the basic process of, of 
putting out content is you start up a text editor, you write a document, then you go to the command line to type Jekyll, it, it will spit out your site, and then you FTP or deploy it however you do want to up to your server. That's it. Cool. Yeah, and so you can write, uh, and you know, I run like a local version of the you know of the site on my laptop. So if I'm on mm -hmm. a on an airplane or offline, I can write anywhere, or I can write on. Um, you know, I know some people that have done this thing with where they do it with Dropbox, and they have the Dropbox um, client running on their server. There's a, a server version of it that you can run, right. and uh, and they just save everything. Uh, into Dropbox, and then anytime there's an update, you know, it gets updated on the server automatically. So this it's actually like a seamless process. To that extent, yeah, but um, you can, it'll, um, you can do like a test run, and it'll tell you, you know, which, it'll give you like a little list of which files have changed, and then it only updates those. All right, cool, great. Um, so the, big, the biggest hurdle really is installing it. And if you're not like a Ruby person, that might be a little bit of a hurdle. And then working out your templates so that you've got uh, a good look. And, and then once that's done, it's basically just writing text files, letting Jekyll does it, do its thing and uploading the files to your server. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yep. That, that was kind of one of, I thought that was one of the complaints though about um, in the early days of um, of uh, which one was it that you were talking about the blog system where you would basically generate static content? Movable type, yeah. Movable type, wasn't that one of the <laughs> complaints? Is that, oh God, it's so slow. I've got to regenerate my whole site every single time and then upload it every single time. Isn't there something better? <laughs> yeah, and, you, and it can be slow if you have a ton of content because like as an example, um, if you have like a, uh, like a listing of... Um, other articles or something like that, or previous articles on each right. entry page, then each of those entry pages have to get rebuilt every time you add an article. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, you know, my site isn't that huge, so it, it doesn't take that long. And what I did is when I moved to Jekyll, I didn't actually migrate everything over um, yeah. yet. It's, again, like many things, it's, it's in the plans. But um, I migrated over some things, and then I kept a snapshot of my old site. I think it's at, like, archive.ryanrown.com. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then that's just there now as a placeholder. And then when I have the time to write the migration scripts to move everything over, um, then I'll just move it all over as uh, as Markdown files. But there's so much, like I said, you know, there's this degradation over 10 years that um, there's all sorts of markup embedded in the sure. post and all sorts of junk. Um, yeah. It's just a nightmare. So I wish I had, I wish I had just written text files 10 years ago. Yeah. But uh, it, it seems like the use case is mostly for a very uh, simple site. It might be deep with a lot of content, but, you know, like a blog where you're not having multiple designs, for example, for different types of content. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say that's the that's probably the best way to approach it. That's the only type of site I've done. I think if it starts to get really crazy, then um, you, you run into the problem that it becomes really difficult to manage. Yeah. And one of the things that, and, and this is just comes from me sort of, building so many client sites is that, you know, you want, you don't, not only do you want the site to look nice and do you want the people that are using the site to have a good experience, but you also want the people managing the site to have a good experience. Right. And so if you make it like a real, you know, crazy way of managing the site because it has to be all be text files, then nobody, no one's going to want to manage it. And that's where tools like Expression Engine, WordPress, Drupal, you know, that's where they, they come in, you know, because yeah, yeah. you want it to be easy to use. Cool. Well, why don't we switch gears? Let's talk a little bit about your other project, Majingo. Why don't you tell people about what it is? Sure. Um, it's a funny name for a, a small publishing company I have that puts out uh, screencasts, and uh, we even have an ebook, and also does um, classroom training for. Um, uh, started out just doing expression engine stuff, but I have stuff on uh, expression engine add on development, uh, Jekyll, um, Evernote. And I'm trying to think what else is in there. Um, there's some uh, Python stuff in there now. We're actually working on something for Django. So it's just a, a training site where you can go to uh, get videos uh, to learn how to, to do something new uh, on, on the web. Um, the It started out uh, in 2008. I did a series of videos for the pragmatic programmers. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with them. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so they're a, a great publisher based in 
Texas and Carolina. And uh, they did this whole new screencast thing. And um, one of my friends, Mike Clark, was leading up the, uh, the, uh, the screencast effort and asked me to do some stuff on Expression Engine. I had already been, you know, I was already under contract with them to do my book on Expression Engine, but I was waiting uh, for the new version of Expression Engine to come out before I could uh, continue writing it. So we did these videos in, in, the, in the interim and put them up for sale. And it just went gangbusters. It was insane. And they, you know, they sold really well, sort of filled a hole um, in, uh, in the community for, for that type of training material. And also hit at a time where Expression Engine was really starting to get really, really popular, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, in comparison to, to where it had been before. And, uh, and it did really well. So I, um, I followed that up. I sold those videos through Pragmatic for a couple of years, and then I followed it up with a um, in 2010 with this Majingo site. I started I redid the videos for Expression Engine 2, and uh, started selling them on my own. And then shortly after that, we released an ebook um, by Mark Hewitt called Securing Expression Engine, which is a short ebook that goes through I call them ebooklets that goes through the best practices for making sure you have a secure setup uh, for your Expression Engine site. And then from there, I just started adding uh, new products as uh, as I could, as time allowed. You know, I did I did it all on you know evenings and weekends and uh, on vacation and all sorts of stuff. Um, but it's been uh, it's been a great business, and it has uh, helped a lot of people learn Expression Engine and other stuff. And it's great to see people uh, you know get excited or have that light bulb moment um, from seeing the videos. Uh, so so it's been through you know it didn't. It was originally through a publisher, and then I took it out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and a really simple uh, model in terms of selling it, I use this service called FastSpring, which is a, a hosted uh, e-commerce system. Um, and I had everything on my site, but then pushed off to FastSpring, and you can skin the site so it looks, it looks just like the Majingo.com site. And that way I didn't have to handle the cart system and the payment processing right. and all right. that. They just basically direct deposited, you know, the money into my uh, business account twice a month. And uh, so, so that was cool to, to set that up. And then in uh, last August, yeah, August 2012, I took that next step again and actually pulled all the e-commerce in-house. So I run all of it off my site now. Um, and it all runs Expression Engine. Uh-huh. Um, cool. It runs this module called Store by this company called um, Expresso, and um, you know it uses uh, you know your standard you know authorized.net payment gateway. So I can process credit cards. I can also take PayPal, and that's all handled in Expression Engine. The products are stored in Expression Engine. The customers are stored in Expression Engine. Cool. Um, and all my reporting and everything is all in Expression Engine. So it's uh, it's all sort of self-contained. So that's the kind of things you can do with Expression Engine. Not just for publishing content, you can do. Uh, there's three great e-commerce options for Expression Engine L2. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. So you you also host the videos, so you have some kind of uh, access control to all your video content for the streaming or for the downloading. Uh, oh, I don't know. You I okay? Don't. So yeah, so I just added. I don't know if you I added recently streaming, um, so that way people when they log into their account they could uh, they have the option now to download or stream the video right on the uh, site. Okay, and that's. Um, and I use uh, the Vimeo Pro service for that, which is a great Vimeo service that's really affordable right. and also lets you customize the player so it's not branded by Vimeo anymore. You actually can brand it yourself. Um, but you have that great Vimeo backend supporting delivering the videos. And you have the great Vimeo player, which works like on every device almost. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah. And then the, but the downloads and stuff um, are all handled through another. Um, it's all handled in Expression Engine through this other tool that lets me track um, any abuse of downloads, um, uh-huh. like, le- like leeching. If someone shares links out and stuff like that, I can right, you know, right. I can track that. Um, cool. It also requires you know that you're logged in to download and stuff like that. So yeah, but I handled all of it myself. Sweet. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. So, how many years of development has it been since you started in the beginning to where you are now? As for as, as the Majinko site, it's been like two and a half years since I first built it. And when I first built it, it was it was literally like a couple of pages. <laughs> it really wasn't that much to it. 
Right. Um, but I just slowly, yeah. you know, added new stuff. And, and I really tried to take the, when I first set up Majingo.com, I said, you know, my goal is to sell these videos. Mm-hmm. My goal is not to like build this big e-commerce solution. Like that wasn't like, right. I, I, I was more than happy to lean, to swallow my pride as a developer and lean on a third party to do it and pay you know, more money sure. to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. But it allowed me to focus just on the on the content and the products at first. Right. And cool. then as What's... time went on, I realized that I, I had to I had to take more and more of that on board. What's the plugin that you use for uh, the controlling of the downloads and it's called Link Vault. And uh, it's by a company called um, Masuga Design. And uh, yeah, it handles you know Generating the links and and um, uh, letting me control, you know, access and preventing leaching and all that stuff. Cool, and that's it's called Link Vault, like links. Yeah, Link Vault. Yeah. Cool. Um, yep. That's awesome. How how are you doing with this? Is this just kind of a small side gig, or is this something that you could turn into a business that would support you? Um, it is, uh, it has definitely turned into a business that could support me. Cool. Um, it's, uh, it's done really well. I think that's, um, the, uh, the expression engine space, space has been a little bit of, of a bumpy ride in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but it, it definitely, you know, uh, it definitely has done like way better than, than I had expected. But the great thing is that, um, you know, other than creating project products, which is, you know, a lot, I mean, you guys write books, you know, that, you know, teaching anyone anything is, is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and the, the main thing I have to do is, is supporting customers if they have problems with downloads and things like that. Right. So there's not, there's not a lot of work that goes into it. It comes and goes and spurts, um, you know, if I'm working on a new, a new product or if I am uh, building out a new feature, um, you know, I might have like, a couple of weeks of really intense, you know, uh, work, and and then I can I can back off a bit a little bit and uh, and and have a, a more normal life. But you know, there's no getting around the fact that if you do something like this and have um, a demanding full time job, that you uh, you work a lot. Cool. I do want to talk about a little bit about the content because like you. Uh, I was very passionate about. It. I, uh, I, we w- went back and did some research and, and found out like one of the things that you are passionate about in terms of your content and and writing these materials or like working with other authors for them is that you want to make sure that the content is geared for techies, if you will, or like you know developers, but also for people who you know are coming in at uh, you know kind of a beginner level too. You want to make sure it's like open for both and. M- you know, do you still try to find that with with Majingo stuff that you do work with? Um, I do. I would say that the um, uh, I would say that most of the stuff is probably like the intermediate level, mm-hmm. um, where except for the Expression Engine series, which is this four hour series over eight episodes, so eight videos, where you can learn Expression Engine, like mm-hmm. that, you don't really need to be uh, really technical to use it. I mean, you need to be comfortable with HTML and, and CSS, um, just in terms of getting around it, so you know where to place tags and stuff like that. Right. Um, but you but you don't need to be like a, a hardcore developer. A lot of people that pick up the video pick it up because, you know, somebody, you know, built them a site and they just want to know more about the tool that was used to build that site. Right. Okay. Um, but everything else, um, except for the Evernote video, um, is probably more like an inter- intermediate level. Mm. Um, Basics of Markdown, not really as much. You know, the Markdown mm-hmm. video I did, that's that's pretty approachable by anybody. Um, the Evernote video is also really approachable. A lot of, um, all sorts of people buying the Evernote video, a lot of professionals, non-technical people, mm-hmm. uh, sure. business people buying the Evernote video. Um, so it's a little bit scattered, but the focus is basically um, on people that are doing stuff on the web, whether it's building, you know, sharing, marketing, or whatever. That's that's who I'm trying to, to go after here. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's it's really awesome that you're trying to do this, and, and I, I think it's just really great. I like the uh, whole um, 
uh, lunch with lunch with series, like as you just make like little screencasts and well, like the like the Jekyll or that, so that you just quickly get up to speed with it. You know, you, you have like the like you said with the expression engine, you know, people just want to buy it just so they know what the technology is. But I also see where people just say like, you know, a colleague of mine just mentioned Jekyll and I have to go figure out what Jekyll is, and so it's a really great way of just you know, getting up to speed and get some good general working knowledge of what's going on. Yeah, I didn't want to. Uh, I did that uh, one because I, I always thought that you know a lot of people probably like on their lunch break as they're eating you know a sandwich at their desk they uh, a lot of times you know might want to have the opportunity to use that time to learn something and I didn't want everything I created to be a huge time investment like you know four hours or or whatever and so I was trying to create something really focused that people could you know just it isn't to be anything super serious it could be. Um, you know, like learning Markdown, which is not like very technical, right? But it could be something that you could just do um, while you're having lunch. And uh, and so that's why I created this Lunch with Series. I think it was like back in the like fall of 2011 that I created it. And I have a couple of videos on OmniFocus too um, that that cover that. Even this thing on, on Solver, um, which is a free video. Um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a cool idea. It doesn't have as many products as I would want it to have right now. Um, but um, it's a fun series to do for sure. I mean, have you any plans? Like, is, has there any like uh, roadblocks in terms of when software updates, like Expression Engine, comes up with an update, or uh, do, you, do you do you have to find they have to go back and, and touch it up, or do you just re- release uh, like an add-on pack or a new version? Or yeah, I um, I will typically wait until the videos um, no longer serve my customers well so if there's like there's always small updates to expression engine and because the videos cover core concepts mm-hmm. is that those core concepts concepts rarely change in expression engine so the videos have a they have a long life but sometimes they will make significant updates um mm-hmm. like uh in 2011 they made significant updates to like the file manager and a couple other pieces and then the interface was refined and so it may like i had to update my book too but it made sense to also go up and go in and update the videos. Um, but as long as the content is good, I don't update, update the videos um, uh, because they're, you know, they're four hours long and, uh, and it's hard to go in and cut, uh-huh. you know, edit in like, you know, something different. Right. Um, there are actually, they're on my agenda for um, the first part of this year to update again. Um, and I typically in the past, I've just, I've just dropped in the update as a replacement so it's not like an upgrade that people have to pay or anything like right. that because you know they're. I'm not really like up, upgrading the the amount of information I'm giving them. Yeah. I'm just updating to make sure it's still uh, it's still relevant. Right. Um, but I know that some people do like add-ons. Like mm-hmm. hey, like this and this changed. Um, that seems like a really disjointed way to to learn. So I try not to to do that. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, well I do want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk about. Um, um, something that you know, I know it's also in, in researching for this interview is that uh, you really are interested in workflow and processes and, and trying to get them a little smoother and refined as much as possible. And um, would you say that that's like that's the case? Like that's how you like one thing to do? Yeah, I mean, I'm always I'm always up for nerding out about <laughs> uh, about that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, if, if you're referring to using you know tools like you know text expander and mm-hmm. um, and uh, I really like to use uh, keyboard maestro for certain things on my Mac. You know, which is just tools that you know they're not really like I'm not generating like these huge workflows with them, but they're just make like day to day tasks just really easier for me. Right. So I'm definitely into into that um, if that's what you're referring to. Yeah. Well, I I, I so yeah I want to think about talk about that, but as a way of saying like. I was like reading your blog as well. It's like that you've given up reading RSS feeds. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, holy cow. Well, one, like most people, I think, sort of the web just don't know what RSS means or whatever. Like they just like they probably just see the orange button on their websites and like you know subscribe, or whatever. They have no idea what that means. And you know, Apple get, got rid of the RSS button in Safari. So you know, that, so if you come, so that that's kind of gone. So. Um, what was the uh, impetus to get, you know, like just to get away with that? It was just that, just to refine your kind of productive, you know, improve your 
productivity for the day or? Well, what I found was that I was idly uh, flipping through the RSS feed and never really like, like when I was done, like I didn't really get very much out of it. And so I decided that like I probably didn't really need to, to, to do this as much. Um, since then, I have kind of gone back and forth and started to look at, you know, RSS feeds and then not look at them. Now I launch my RSS reader um, at the most once a week. Mm. Um, but, uh, but so much of what you can find now, like you just let people sift the stuff for you. It's actually uh, really nice, especially on Twitter. Yeah. Um, there's so many ways of, of, of finding things now that don't require subscribing to 800 RSS feeds. Um, but, uh, so I don't do it as much. Um, the one thing that I, I do it for sometimes is to monitor things about expression engine. So I, I have certain like, uh, Google searches that I have RSS feeds for and things like that. And every once in a while, I just go through just to monitor that kind of stuff. Okay. But even now I have, um, um, this, uh, guy, Kyle Cotter, who writes the news on EE Insider for me. And so, um, so he does a lot of the sifting of, of expression engine related information now. So I'm not having to do as much of that. Um, but, uh, but I, I mean, I don't like, I don't like hate RSS, but I certainly <laughs> don't use it, um, quite as much. It honestly just felt like, like if I don't, didn't do it a lot, I ended up with all these, all these unread, unread items and I would get anxious and then, um, and I decided that that was a really a fun way to go. So I just stopped. Um, but I'm not like. You know, I'll open it up every once in a while. Uh, only if only because I really like using the reader um, app. Uh, I just think it's pretty. So, are there, are there any like, other software like small pieces of software that you like that uh, that helps speed up your day? The two I, re- I already mentioned, uh, Text Expander, is really really big for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it for everything from uh, creating, uh, just you know, typing out today's date. You know, um, to, uh, we just went on vacation or on a trip to Florida and I have to like print out like some instruction list for our pet sitter for our cat. And I actually have this fill in form through expect text expander that has the pre-filled information that I can just drop in the dates and any other additional information. And then it just, it populates that into like a pages document and I can just print it out. So it's customized, but I don't have to type it out every time. Um, so, uh, so I do stuff. Um, nerdy stuff like that. Um, Keyboard Maestro lets me, um, you know, lets you automate different things. It lets you, you know, put together different keyboard commands to make things go faster. Um, uh, There's uh, my text, my sort of like note text editor would be um, this app called NV Alt, which is a, a, a fork of notational velocity. And it's a really simple, um, text editor that lets you easily search for and create new text files. Um, and, uh, and I sync it all with Dropbox. So it's available on, um, through this other app I use on my phone called Notesy. Um, so I can, you know, always have like these text files going and I have all sorts of stuff. I think I did a video on Majingo on the blog about, um, grocery lists and stuff like that, how I use it mm-hmm. to, to track grocery lists. Um, and I have a grocery list going back like three years and I can just like search. <laughs> um, cool. yeah. Uh, so that's, so NVL is a big one. And I use this, um, tagging system for it, um, that I cribbed from, I think it was like Merlin man, uh, was the first person I heard talk about it where I just, you know, in the file name, I just do like a tag, like groceries X. And what it does is because it has the X on it, you know, that it'll always, um, you'll always be able to find it by that tag. Uh, and then it gives you a list of like all the entries that have that, uh, that tag. Um, so that's a really cool, that's like my go-to thing for meeting notes. Um, you know, I keep running meeting notes for different parts of my job and, you know, in NVL. Um, so that's a big, that's a, a big, big one for me is NVL on all my devices. Um, it's pretty critical, uh, to me. so much so that if it's not in there, I get really, uh, I get really lost. I'm trying to think. OmniFocus is another tool that helps cool. me yeah. keep my keep my stuff together and know what I need to do. Um, 
What's your <clears throat> what text editor you use for development? Um, these days, I'm using Sublime Text. Uh-huh. Uh, I switched, I guess, last year from uh, from TextMate, and uh, and it's you know it's great. I don't get real passionate about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I mean, I definitely I like to use things that I think are enjoyable, and I, I found it really enjoyable to use. I also really like TextMate. Yeah. Um, but I like the, 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 my ability to, to customize the look of sublime text too. I have like all black, you know, sidebar and, and text editor area. Right. Um, cool. but yeah, but I don't like, I don't get like religious about it. <laughs> you know, if I have to type in, you know, another app I love is BB edit. I will, I don't care. Um, and I'm just trying to think, I think the only other big, big tool for me or two more, one is one password on my Mac, which lets me store all my passwords and stuff. Um, yeah, I use that too. I'm looking yeah. for an alternative though. I'm not super happy with it. It's kind of slow once you get a lot of passwords in there. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I've noticed and that. I, I don't like it on the phone either because there's like two Have passwords. Have you tried the new one? Oh no, maybe I need to get the upgrade. Yeah, so the new one is, is much better. You have to repurchase it. Um, okay. But uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's much better. And I think they're supposed to be coming out with a new one for the Mac too. And it's also on Windows as well. So right. it's, for, it's for everybody. Okay. Um, so that would be it. And the other one would be, and I've written about this before, is DevonThink Pro, mm. which is a, um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's like this research tool, but I use it as the, the way of controlling and managing my paperless stuff. Mm. Um, I wrote about this on the Happy Cog blog, Cognition, um, about my uh, paperless trail I have of scanning stuff and saving everything to DevonThink. And it's really good about auto-organizing stuff for you based on the contents of the document, it'll automatically file it for you if, mm. if, you know, if it can. Um, and so Devon yeah. Think Pro is my, it's like the hub of, of everything. If I need to, you know, pull up a document mm-hmm. uh, or a receipt or something like that. Then yeah, I used to use that. I switched to Evernote though, just because okay. I love the cloud. I, it's just everywhere. I've got it on my iPad, my phone, my computer, on somebody else's computer. Um, I just, I love Evernote. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm with you on, uh, I'm with you there. Uh, I think, Devon thing isn't as good at seamless syncing. I sync it, my database is through Dropbox. Ah, uh, okay. Um, but you have to be careful because if you have, it, they can get corrupted if you're not careful. Um, it's gotten mm. better. But I've gone as far as using um, actually Keyboard Maestro on my, my Mac Pro at home at every night at, I think, like 2 a.m., it shuts down, it, it, it quits uh, Devon Think if it's open. Um, and that way, if I like am working in it at night, like scanning or doing whatever, and then I go to bed and I forget to close it and I go into work the next day on my laptop and I open it, that um, I, like, I don't have these conflicts or these warnings saying this database is already open. Um, and so, uh, so I've gotten around that a little bit. But yeah, it's not as seamless. They do have an iPhone app and an iOS and a, or an iOS app. Um, but it's it's limited. Um, but I'm so far down that path now that um, I think I'm <laughs> now turning back. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with it. Cool. And it's great for research. Like I use their Devon Agent, I think it's called, which is their search tool. Uh huh. Right. Um, yeah. And it's built all right in. And it's sort of like you know you're. It's a lot like you know going into the Apple world. Like you're you're definitely committing to an ecosystem. Right. Yeah. And um, but I find it to be really worth, it, especially if I have to research stuff. Uh, it, it works out really well. Cool. Well, I think this is a good time to wrap it up. Um, why don't you tell people how they can find you, where you exist on the web, and some of your tell them about where Majingo is. Sure, um, they can uh, find me at uh, ryanireland.com, r-y-a-n-i-r-e-l-a-n.com, and um, on the same uh, on Twitter, uh, majingo.com, m-i-j-i-n-g-o, and then also, uh, of course, you know the the awesome people here at HappyCog at HappyCog.com uh, is uh, the place where uh, I do uh, the the majority of my of my work and uh, and spend a lot of time. So it's a lot of fun. So yeah, those three places are the best places to go. Cool. Well, thanks, uh, Ryan. It was great talking to you. I learned a lot about um, Expression Engine for sure and about uh, your Majinko project, which sounds awesome. I want to do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Our 
thanks to Ryan Island for joining us on Non-Breaking Space. As always, check the show notes out at nonbreakingspace.tv for links and sites discussed during the episode. We're also on the iTunes podcast listing, and we'd really appreciate if you subscribed and left a rating or review. It really helps us spread the word about the show. You can follow us on Twitter at NBSPTV, and same thing on Facebook. Thank you.